0: You're listening to the Pandemic Podcast, where we equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of today's crises. My name is Matt Bodker, and I'm joined by two good friends, Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist at the Harvard School of Public Health, and Dr. Mark Kissler. Sorry, I actually know your name, but I butchered that time, who is a doctor at the University of Colorado (laughs) Hospital. We're great friends. What's your name again? Hey, guys, how's it going, man? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good. Yeah, good, good. How are you doing, Matt? Good to see you guys. It's Thursday. I feel like it's been forever. since so I've seen you guys. We're used to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. Uh, yeah. So good to see you guys online and we're connected. Uh, a couple of things before we get going. Again, same thing. We could always use more reviews. So please, if you want to, go on iTunes, leave a review, whatever you think is worthy of it. Uh, if you have an extra minute or two to leave a comment, it would be so greatly appreciated. It helps us tremendously. Also, we we're really working hard to just get a few more funds, to get some more equipment, to get an editor to really help streamline these things to create uh, create more and more better content. So you can do that patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash pandemic podcast. Please, if you can, anything small uh, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, today, we have a special guest, and uh, Travis Hornsby. They reached out to us, and we were excited to have him on. He is the speaker and founder of Student Loan Planner. I'll give you more about the information in just a minute, uh, but he uh, reached out to us probably last week, and I really wanted to snag him up. And The reason why, personally, is I've got student loans, and they're all about how to navigate student loans in this difficult time. We thought, man, I know many of you who are listening right now have student loan questions, maybe about the relief package and what it means for you. So, Uh, With no further ado, before we get going between Mark and Steven, I want to give you a little interview between Travis and myself about what you can do if you have student loans to help you kind of offset some of your finances temporarily so that you can kind of get ahead of the curve as we flatten the curve. Well, I would like to welcome Travis Hornsby to the show. Uh, He is a speaker and the founder of Student Loan Planner. Uh, I'm excited to have him on the show and I'll explain why in a little bit, but uh, read a little bit about him, got to know him a little bit uh, through his website, uh, he launched this after helping his wife deal with own, her own loans in the context of going to medical school, uh, and this drew him into a realization that he needed to help other people, and I'm kind of in the same boat, so I'm glad to have him on the show. He has consulted over uh, $865 million in student debt. Uh, I'm just so thankful that's not my debt, personally. At least at least, it gives me some hope that I'm, I'm, I'm less than that. Um, before this, Travis worked as a bond trader trading billions of dollars, so he's got a lot of good experience in the financial industry. He has helped over 3,400 clients save over $158 million on their student loans and has been featured in Business Insider, Forbes, Lifehacker, Huffington Post, Rolling Stone, and so many more places. Travis, welcome to the show. It's good to have you, buddy. Thanks. To, thanks. Great to be here, Matt. Well, I, I'm excited because, look, I, I come from this. Uh, we're, we're in a difficult time. And even before the difficult time, I feel like Pandemic, which is the name of our show, I think student loan is kind of a pandemic in and of itself. It's, it's, it's just this crisis. And we felt the weight when I got married, Travis. And we between the both of us, my wife and I, we had a significant amount of student loan debt. It has plagued us even to this day, and then we're feeling it even more. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about what you do, what services you provide. But before we get into that, I kind of want to hit right uh, right away on this uh, this relief package that's kind of going on. And that's how you initially contacted me and reached out uh, of, you know, I kind of want to know what, what what what's going on with this and what options are available for people like me and other people who have a decent amount of student loans to get a little bit of relief in this difficult time, some people are being laid off. Uh, some people are getting decreased uh, uh, wages and we're trying to find any way to be able to kind of cut some of this financial burden off of us. What's, what's available right now and what's going on right in that area? Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm going to give like the 30,000 foot view and then I'm going to try to inject some humor into this because <laughs> good, I think we, we all need could it. Use, use, okay. use a laugh, right? So, gotcha. I mean, the, the first thing is, is if you have federally owned student loans, you're okay. good. What's okay. going to happen is, is your payments are just going to be automatically suspended. Your interest is already 0% going okay. back to March 13th. And okay. if you've already made a payment since March 13th, you can actually contact your servicer and get that refunded oh, retroactively. Great. Right? So March 13th to September 30th, if you were enrolled in an income driven plan as of March 30, 13th specifically, then any payments made between March 13th and September 30th count towards forgiveness programs okay. such as public service loan forgiveness, you know, 20 25 year pay repay programs, those kind of things. Okay. So that's great, that's great news. Now yeah. the, the danger is is if you're, you know, in forbearance before that, then you you wouldn't necessarily qualify. If you're working for a not-for-profit and you got laid off, that you you know these zero-dollar payments would qualify for the twenty and twenty-five year programs, but not for PSLF because you're not employed full-time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, tr- truthfully, the CARES Act, you know, C A R E S is the big all-caps acronym for that stimulus bill. It's it's one of the most generous things that's ever been done for student loan borrowers in uh, a time of crisis. Now the downside is a lot of people got left out. Yeah. So the, who who got left out? So people with private loans, people who refinance their loans, um, kind of a big slap in the face there to people who tried to do the responsible thing. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think that you know it's a six month suspension. Uh, certainly, that's painful. Uh, people should still refinance if they need to refinance long term, but don't do that until September thirtieth for federal loans. Okay. For private loans, you should still be refinancing because you might be able to find a lower rate. Okay. Now. Is there,
0: is there any options with, with personal loans? I mean, or is it just, we're just like, we're, you just have to just negotiate wherever you're at. Cause we do have a couple pretty significant personal loans, uh, that are educational loans. And do we just have so those
1: private student loans or those like personal loans? They're private, like, just,
0: uh, they're private student yeah. loans. Yeah. Cause those
1: are different. So the personal loans are something that you can okay, discharge so. in bankruptcy yeah. that are unsecured completely. The, the rates are usually, you know, 6% plus, Yeah, you know, private student loans you either probably took them out for school in which mm-hmm. case the interest rates are probably not that great if you originated them yeah. for school if you refinance the interest rates probably are pretty decent okay. so you know if you refinance what's happening at most of the lenders is they're giving people the option to suspend payments for the usual forbearance terms okay. so the usual forbearance terms are basically 3 months at a time then you can apply again for another 3 months of forbearance at a lot of places if you ask okay. so you know just just know that you know, you can probably get your payments paused at most private lenders. Okay. Uh, most of the companies are working with people. Unfortunately, though, the interest does not get paused.
0: Regarding the federal loans, for, ence- for us, we're an automatic payment. So does for those who are an automatic payment, will they stop it for us? Or do we have to call and say, hey, make sure you stop our automatic payment coming in in two weeks or a week?
1: Yeah. So they're going to do it automatically. You don't okay. have to do anything. So okay. the only thing that you would have to do proactively is if you're I mean let's talk about some things you should be doing proactively. Yeah. So if you're in forbearance before March 13th, you want to apply for an income driven plan like immediately oh. because your your payments will get suspended, right? And and the thing is is you get credit for forgiveness but only under plans you would have normally qualified for. Well, that's if you're in for, forbearance before March 13th, then you were just in that status and so technically that's a continuation of forbearance and then that's not credit towards forgiveness whereas if you were in an IDR plan of any kind yeah. before March 13th then you're good like you just have okay. to just chill don't worry about it they'll suspend payments if you notice that they pulled a payment out after March 13th which a lot of the servicers did okay you can contact the servicer and ask for that money back okay so the 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 problem is is this doesn't cover all kinds of federal loans so okay. there is the biggest kind of federal loans this does not cover is something called commercially held FFEL loans okay so what the heck is that? Right? Yeah, I have no. So, idea. I mean, you know, it's like you know, some sort of I don't know, like foreign <laughs> thing or something. Yeah, sure. So, um, so, so, so basically, like FFEL commercial loans are loans from before 2010. So that none of these things were ever issued after 2010. Okay. So you know, so so if you borrowed after 2010, you're covered. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're as long as your loans are federal and not private. Sure. If you have loans from before 2010, they're probably FFEL loans, but they could be either commercially held. Or federally held, and it's very difficult to tell the difference between those two. The only way that I've been able to tell is is with uh, basically downloading and, and you know looking through someone's NSLDS data file, which is like the raw file of the incomplete history of their student loans.
0: Wow.
1: Um, so it's it's not easy. Okay. And so <clears throat> my suggestion would be if you have a lot of loans, like over six figures from before 2010, mm-hmm. you definitely need to get this analyzed because you could get zero percent interest by consolidating. And, you know, you need to waive that benefit versus giving up any credit you have towards forgiveness under an income-based plan that you would lose mm-hmm. by consolidating. Sure. So, so for people from loans before 2010, this is really kind of a complex time mm-hmm. uh, for people with loans from after 2010. It's, it's a, pr- honestly, it's a pretty easy time in terms of, of just not, you know, panicking and just keeping the status quo. Okay. Um, one more big, big, last big thought for this kind of question that you asked is, yeah. If you lost your income, mm-hmm. go ahead and resubmit your, IC, your IDR repayment certification right now. Mm-hmm. The, the reason for that is if you lost your income, you can go on to studentaid.gov slash IDR mm-hmm. and click apply now. And that's going to take you to different options, one of which says you can recertify your income-driven plan if your income fell. Okay. And then if you lost your income completely, all you got to do is just say that. And then they're going to recalculate your payment at zero dollars a month. So what's sure. the difference between a zero dollar a month payment and a suspended zero dollar a month payment? Yeah. The the answer to that is September the thirtieth. They're going to ask everybody to start paying again, right? Mm, yeah. Whereas if you certify a zero dollar a month payment now, that payment might last a lot longer than September thirtieth, which might get you a whole bunch of extra credit towards forgiveness at a super low monthly payment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that probably doesn't help anybody going for PSLF because you know then you wouldn't be getting you know credit. Yeah. Um, potentially. I mean, like you would get it if you went back to work because they don't require you to recertify until they actually ask you for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people could benefit by taking action right now, too, in addition to most people, which are going to get some benefit by doing nothing.
0: Okay. And <clears throat> this might be a question that, that definitely impacts me that public service, like loan forgiveness program. Uh, I know initially back in 2008, I think I started going to the process myself because I, I worked for a, a 501c3, and so I thought that I could get this forgiven. And I noticed, oh, year after year after year, um, the 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 parameters for what qualifies for that kept getting narrow and narrow to the point where I had to stop applying because uh, it just didn't didn't I didn't fit the bill uh, for the the public loan forgiveness program. Is there anything? Is there a way to get around this? I know I'm not the only one. I've had a lot of people in my life in my same kind of area who started this process. And I I had, I had an interest rate just by the way of like 1.75 percent with Sally Mae, and that. So I moved, and I think that's what you were saying was a commercial loan. And so I moved it to a Fed loan so I could qualify for that. So then I went up a percent to 2.75, and then now I'm kind of stuck in like, well, now I'm double slammed because I went up in a percent and now I disqualify. Are, are people's hands just kind of tied right now for what used to be promised and what's kind of being squeezed out?
1: No, not at all. And uh, so so just to give you some thoughts on that, so you probably consolidated your loan into a direct consolidation loan, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you did that. And then now your monthly payment is 10% of your income minus 150% of the poverty line. Mm-hmm. So if you're single, let's say you're making 100000 a year, uh, just to keep math easy. For a single person, the deduction for 150% of the poverty line is about 20 grand. Mm-hmm. So they'll take twenty grand off your hundred and they'll take ten percent of that net result of eighty thousand. Okay. So eight thousand dollars a year, divide that by twelve, it's maybe six, seven hundred dollars a month. Okay. Right. So the thing is, is if your loan is less than 60 or 70 grand, then like, Hey, guess what? You're not going to be able to qualify for a plan. That's not the standard 10 year plan, you know? Yep. And in that case, you wouldn't have anything left to forgive after 10 years of payments. Yeah. So that's an example of how a lot of people might not be eligible for PSLF. Mm -hmm. Now there's a kind of a really interesting loophole and this stuff gets super complicated. So I, I, you know, uh, you know, just to give you an example is let's say that you had, um, you know, similar incomes to your spouse, but your spouse had like, you know, five to 10 times the amount of loans that you had. Mm-hmm. What you could actually do is you could do the revised page as you earn plan. And then your payment is based off of your proportional payment of based off of the debt amount you have. So let's say that they calculate your proportional payment at, I'm just going to pick a random number, right? $1,000 a month. Yep. Okay. So if you have, if she, if she has five times, the spouse has five times the, um, the debt, then maybe your payment under revised pay as you earn is 200 a month. Right. Yeah. And so then 800 a month would go to hers at $200 a month would go to yours. This is just roll back in the napkin math here. Yeah. But then what you can do is you can file taxes separately and get uh, the spouse on pay as you earn and maybe pay or 500 a month instead of 800 a month. And you also get the repay proportional payment benefit. Mm-hmm. So that's a way to take even like a 20 or $30,000 loan and turn it into something that's eligible for PSLF. If you have a spouse that's also pursuing PSLF. Mm-hmm. Great. So, I mean, that's. There's also other examples that you could use, like spouses pursuing long-term forgiveness would work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, the, yeah, there's all kinds of hacks with this stuff that yeah. people, you have to really, you know, know the rules to to get. Like, I, we're still trying to come up with a good nickname for that. So, if you have any ideas, let me know. <laughs> sure. We're it like the. We're calling it like the art, the fighting spouses loophole. <laughs> totally, um, you know, there, there's like the breadwinner loophole where if you live in like California or Texas, you know, you can equalize your incomes. And, you know, so if you have a stay at home spouse, instead of paying on your income, you can pay based on half of your income in some of those community property states. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's just like loop. The loopholes have loopholes with this stuff, right? L- widespread for loan forgiveness. That'd be nice, but it's it's not going to happen because if you look at the stimulus bill they're talking about uh, forgiving a maximum of $10,000 in, in the negotiations that the democrats wanted mm-hmm. um 10 to 30,000 specifically that yeah. did not get passed yeah, but what that what that shows you is elizabeth warren is having a bigger impact on the progressive wing of the party than bernie is mm-hmm. in terms of of the policy because they're they're realizing that forgiving student loans is a very regressive benefit mm-hmm. if you forgive balances period because the biggest benefit goes to people that make very high incomes disproportionately to the regular average person. Yeah. Right. You're forgiving okay. a lot more for a doctor or a lawyer than you are forgiving for somebody who went to barber school. Sure. So, you know, so don't expect mass forgiveness. That's not going to happen because Republicans are opposed to it and Democrats are proposed to it for high earners. Mm-hmm. So you know what you can do, though, is look at the government programs and realize that a lot of these things are sort of backdoor forgiveness programs. So that's that's the strategy aspect to it. When you can realize how you can get a lot in forgiven student loans uh, without having to bet on some sort of thing that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm.
0: It seems like that's like the biggest value that you offer to so many people. Like some of the things you're telling me, I'm like, gosh, I'd have, I would need to spend more time with you to understand what are what are my next steps. So before we kind of end this conversation, there's like, how do you when you help some? You've now you've 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 saved over 158 million dollars on student loans with over 3,400 clients. Is there one thing you can share with people who are listening right now that seems like the one of the most low-hanging fruits now outside of the relief bill that you've seen over and over and over? That maybe is an easy win to get some traction uh, and, and reducing at least payments, if not something forgiven. Has there been a common denominator that you've seen?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're um, if if you're paying extra on your student loans right now with the government, stop. You know, you should really probably be putting that money, if you have federal loans, into investments and savings. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And if your monthly payment is painful because it's very high, that means your income is very high. Mm -hmm. And if you're not working for a not-for-profit or government employer, then you don't qualify for public service loan forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So then you can just refinance it and try to pay it off. But people get so worried about their federal student loans. I I have so many people that don't understand that student loans are simple interest instead of compounded interest. Mm -hmm. The government programs make sure that the student loan interest is simple interest instead of compounded interest. I'm repeating it because it's that important. Because in the beginning, your interest is really bad relative to your balance. But over time, that interest charge never increases. And it gets less and less, like the interest rate declines every single year, if you keep your loans with the federal government. So there's just just, this mass not not understanding that. And so everybody freaks out. Everybody's like, oh, man, I'm going to owe a gazillion dollars. I'm going to be so screwed. Mm-hmm. And just nothing could be further from the truth. So that's what I would tell people is is you know, as a low-hanging fruit mm-hmm. is probably stop paying extra on your student loans and and think about mm-hmm. you know, for federal student loans and yeah. if you do want to pay a lot extra then yeah, maybe you should refinance.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I in light of what you just said about that, I mean, I hope that people will take something home from this. First and foremost, I love what you said, Travis, about how, okay, we have this extended kind of moratorium on payments. There's no interest. And if you do have a student loan, take advantage of that. And one way to take advantage of that is to reallocate those funds in a, in a very smart and intentional way. So don't let let them get wasted and just kind of dissolve into some other responsibility, but reallocate to those to something that maybe can provide more value uh, for yourself, for the family, uh, for investments, these kind of things, or just in the savings, having an emergency fund uh, and just not wasting it away, but putting it towards something, something else. And now yeah, as- you're sa- oh, good. Yeah. Your,
1: your, your savings rate actually matters so much more than your student loan strategy. Mm-hmm. Like don't get me wrong. People, like I said, we've saved projected $150 million, uh, you know, for clients. It's a, a large number. Last week we saved 3 million for 50 people. Wow. So that's like 60 grand in average savings per person. Mm-hmm. For something that costs a few hundred bucks, you know, but, but the thing is, is as much as we can save somebody, if you increase your savings rate and invest a lot more money, that's the thing that's going to allow you to drop your retirement date from 70 to 55. If you get the right student loan plan, that might drop your retirement date from 60 to 57. Mm -hmm. Right. So like the impact of getting your student loan plan correct is, is massive, Mm -hmm. but also just realize that even if you screw all that up, as long as your savings rate is very high it's actually going to work out okay.
0: I'm guessing a handful of people who are listening probably have a lot more questions. This maybe actually brought more questions than answers, at least when in the area of like, wow, this opened up for me personally, Travis, this opened up a whole other door of like, oh my gosh, I'm missing some opportunities here that could help my family to save some money and to help uh, reduce our loan payments and just get on top of this. So, um, you know, can you share with how, if someone wants to get in contact with you, um, what's the best way for them to get more information and how to get connected with you?
1: go to studentloanplanner.com. Okay. You're going to see a lot of, of links all over the site about where to go in terms of, you know, if you're ready to get a plan, you can press those buttons and book a plan. If you're re- looking for just free advice, there's information on our podcast, Student Loan Planner podcast, okay. and our blog content, which is all free. Great. And that's that's the, the the reality is like, there are a lot of people that can't pay for our help. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people, for example, that are in default and and, you know, people that are are just not doing well right now financially, Like that's why we have all the free content. And if you are okay financially where you're stable, uh, then if you owe more than what you earn and you have a six-figure student loan balance, there's probably a 95% chance we're going to save you at least 10 times what uh, our consult costs.
0: Gosh, that's awesome. Well, Travis... Thanks for being on the show. I hope this is a, a big value to somebody, some, uh, many of you who are out there because I know for me, uh, there's, there's some next steps that I'm going to be doing. We need to be grounded in this and part of being grounded is to help us to find the resource available to, uh, to save some money in these, these difficult times, myself included. Travis, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day to be with us. And uh, I hope you have an awesome day and thanks again. Yep. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Travis Hornsby. Again, if you have any information or if you have questions, I know for me, man, there was some great stuff that he said that was beyond my pay grade of understanding. So uh, reaching out to his website will probably one of the first things I do to get more information. But now... Let's get started. Let's talk about what's in the news, what's going on right now. The biggest thing, uh, Stephen and Mark and I were talking about, uh, was this, uh, the face mask issue. I know weeks ago, Stephen and I and Mark talked about this, whether it's important, but as more information comes out, uh, you know, Stephen and Mark, you can riff on this whether I'm correct or not, because I'm just reading mainline news headlines, and that is that, uh, that part of this re reevaluation is this idea that we're seeing that there are some people who are just asymptomatic in general. And so now we have no, we're, we're, the, the criteria to judge anything by is becoming less and less. And so this might be a response. So let's, there's two things I want to talk about, you know, what's with the face mask stuff. Is it important? Is it not important? Where are you at? And especially in light of what's going on with the hospitals, Mark, how are you feeling about seeing the white house and talking about that? We're really now depleting our, our personal protection gear and what the future holds for uh, for the hospitals right now Stephen you want to chime in first sure yeah so and
2: I think as we've talked about uh, a little bit on some previous episodes as well the question of face masks is uh, is is an active one and one that we're sort of still trying to figure out what to do with them we know that for infections like flu um, they're they're not especially good, especially like the the cloth face masks that um, that you normally wear that aren't necessarily hospital grade, don't really protect you from infection much, but they can protect other people from infection. Now, for flu, that that doesn't matter a ton because you're usually only infectious a couple hours to a day before you start showing symptoms. But as you mentioned, rightfully for the, this coronavirus outbreak, you can be pre-symptomatic for a long period of time or completely asymptomatic. And so that's why we're starting to see these reevaluations of whether or not masks might be a valuable thing to sort of state that, that people wear them any time they're going out in public. So... Uh, one of the key things there is that a mask that is worn incorrectly is probably worse than no mask at all. Um, so, so the answer is not just you know everybody should be wearing masks, but everybody should be wearing masks and should be learning about how to wear masks and what sorts of masks are are useful. So, I think there's some good information about that out there. The, the New York Times, for example, just put out an article for um, how to sew your own mask, and yeah. then at the bottom of that is linked uh, some a description on, on how to wear a mask um, such that you're maximally safe and not risking contaminating yourself um, when you're taking the mask on and off and that sort of thing. Mm. So those are my thoughts at the moment, but uh, Mark, I'd love to hear sort of what you're seeing on the ground.
3: Yeah. I, um, just to emphasize, I think that the, the biggest thrust here that's important is that, these recommendations for the population using masks may be best thought of as a way of reducing asymptomatic transmission. So this is what we do when we go out to the store, uh, when we do those few essential trips that we have to make just to keep our lives going. That in the case that we, one of us were to have been exposed, it helps to present prevent or lower the amount of virus that we're shedding in the community. And um, you know there are other countries for which this is much more common practice, uh, and it's been you know, as you as you notice, it's it's kind of been a big topic of debate uh, right now on the internet and so there's articles going both ways and i suspect that some of the some of the issue here is that people are concerned that if we make a blanket recommendation that everybody should be using a mask then we're going to further worsen the PPE shortage that we're already seeing um, that's already started to happen. And I do agree that the places that the personal protective equipment needs to be maximized and needs to be is in the hospital settings or in the settings of which people are having high-risk exposures. That's going to make the biggest difference. And so what we have to do, I think, is is communities are think about what are alternatives. So rather than using our N95 masks or even the paper surgical masks that should be in the hospitals, um, are there other mask types um, or things like reusable cloth masks that we can make ourselves that may be used just to be responsible when we go out and reduce our chances of asymptomatic transmission that don't increase the pressure on our, our already strained national resources? I think just you—you you ask kind of subjectively how I'm how I'm feeling about all of these things. Um, there are a lot of news articles right now. Currently in Colorado, I think we're in a um, you know fortunate situation for the time being where there's a sense that we do have the personal protective equipment that we need, though there has been in other hospitals and other hospital systems around the country, a lot of conversation about You know, providers not feeling safe uh, going into the settings that they're going into. And some of this comes from some of the confusion and sort of the back and forth about whether we need what's called airborne versus droplet level protection, um, which are now we know that coronavirus spreads through the air. Um, but airborne and droplet are two different levels of protection that are used in hospital settings. So they have kind of a technical meaning as well. And so there's been some confusion and some back and forth amongst the WHO and the CDC and individual hospitals about figuring out what is the best or the, the proper type of protection so that's created one layer of confusion and i think otherwise it's just a sense of you know how are we going to how do we mobilize these resources there's you know information that the united states has a stockpile of these masks and a personal protective equipment that is already being kind of whittled away um and so again, you know the most important thing is to make sure that we have those in the care settings in which people are, are providing the care and uh, and then I think we can think of some other alternatives for for community use.
0: Great looking at uh, we, there's one of these websites we looked at I think we sent to you Mark and Stephen about okay, so I, I, this gets into another question I have, and that is this idea of the peak is still ahead of us. and there's the national peak, which it seems like I read an article about how it's still maybe two weeks away at, at the you know the soonest and it could be actually be a little bit later looking at the peak, and I know there's a website that is divided per state. So each one had its own kind of proportionate. In light of Colorado, where we're at, Mark, at our peak that's projected, do we still have that personal protective gear enough to be able to handle that? Or is it more of like right now we're okay? You know, we're we, you know, we still kind of, you know, doing relatively well. Um, we noticed that the governor mentioned that uh, we used to be doubling every two days and now it moved every five days. So the social distancing has been really been, been seems like it's been working. So I'm not sure what that means for the peak for us in the coming weeks. But in light of that, are we still in Colorado um, considered okay, even at the peak level, potentially? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's hard
3: to know. And I think all of these depend a lot on, as we talked about, lots of different models that have lots of different potential projections. And And I don't have you know access to information about sort of our current state of yeah. uh, PPE, either in our individual hospital or in the state, in terms of the state's resources. One of the things that I have seen is a lot of conversation about whether or not we'll have enough beds. Um, and so hospital beds... And ventilators are another one of those kind of concrete measures of our hospital resources and whether or not we're able to serve the community in the ways that we need to. Um, and I I have seen a shifting um, somewhat that some of the projections I was seeing earlier this month or uh, end of last month, we're saying that we were not going to experience a bed shortage. And I've seen some other models now that seem to be indicating that we may, um, indeed. And so I think it's hard again, it's hard to know exactly where we are on the curve. As Steven yeah. has said multiple times, you know, we're often, uh, it's a little later than we think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we may, um, we may think that we're at a narrow point of the curve, but actually we're still, you know, in this exponential growth phase, we're going to see a lot more cases in the next few weeks. So, We'll, we'll see. I do think we're a few weeks, um, at least a week, um, maybe a few weeks behind some of the bigger urban areas um, that we're seeing like news out of New York. Um, and we really just have to pay attention to what's going on there. Uh, have to pay attention to what happened in Italy, you know, all these things, these are, this is not something that is, is we're seeing this pattern over and over and over again. And it's so important to get ahead of it.
0: Number one, I have to say, I didn't really realize how complex this is. And I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll explain this in a second. So I was listening to Governor Pulse's, he gave a, 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 a basically a briefing yesterday. And I couldn't believe, I'm, like, I'm just so thankful for Stephen, Mark, and all these health professionals who are thinking so ahead. like I didn't even think about, there's this like what like drop down or whatever it's called, this terminology. I'm like, I didn't even think about this idea of there's people in the hospitals that end up ha- having a positive coronavirus, but don't need to be in the hospital. And where do you put them? And, and that you guys were thinking through all these details and All these facilities by which, okay, well, they can't go back home, or if they're in a nursing home, they can't go back to the nursing home. Of course, so where do you, where do you place these people? They're in the hospital. All this is being thought about and being. I mean, I just, I'm amazed at how we're coming together so intentionally to, to work on this. I know we might be a little bit late, but it's inspiring. I was just mentioning to Stephen and Mark uh, before we got on the show, that if you haven't seen the news, that a million face masks, N95 masks are coming from China via a Patriots plane, a Patriots plane. So New England Patriots donated their plane to go get them. And this really inspired me. It got me excited about how everyone is trying to play their part to ensure that this... It, well, we we're, we're, we stay healthy, we stay protected and we stay safe and we're using every resource available to us. You know, 3M is just, just pounding it with developing 95 masks and 95 masks at an exponential rate and we're all coming together and this excites me. And speaking of which, now I want to transition to this. There is another thing that's out there that I read yesterday that really got me excited, both for uh, epidemiology, which I have no idea what it is except for the word. And Stephen can talk about this. Mm-hmm. So it got me excited about this. And you guys, I am the biggest tech nerd in the world. So if there's a technology that uh, that, that actually can actually then speak to epidemiology, this is this is the hotspot for me right now on this podcast. So there's this thing called the Kenza, right? Kenza or Kenza? Kenza Thermometer. If you haven't seen it, check it out. They're out of stock right now. They're, they're, they're developing a new one that's coming out in a couple of weeks you can pre-order. I'm checking it every day to obtain one myself. And this seems to have, this could be a game changer for us when it comes to, well, I'm gonna have Steven talk into this. It's, it's touted what, what it is. it basically a, basis, a base, basic thermometer that hooks to a cloud that connects to a cloud that then documents all these people taking their temperatures, and you can start having like these geographical literal hotspots and see where temperatures are rising, falling at what rate, and how they're uh, growing or uh, uh, you know decreasing. And this seems to be an important piece of the puzzle that's being shared now publicly with, I think, epidemiologists. So. And they even touted the idea that this this information can actually give us uh, maybe models that are weeks ahead of other epidemiological models that are currently out there. So, Stephen, you said you just saw this. You said you just downloaded the data. What do you think about this? Like, what's what's the promise about this?
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think that the idea is great, and it seems like they're doing a really good job implementing it. I've actually done some work with one of the professors who was involved with them on some of their epidemiological modeling, mm-hmm. and they—it uh, it seems like they're, you know, they're they're really oriented towards both providing something of value to the to the consumer in the sense of you know making it easier to to track temperature, mm-hmm. and you know, we have all of these apps now that uh, you know help keep track of your basic mm-hmm. health stats and that sort of thing. So yeah. so that's a valuable thing on the individual scale, but but epidemiologically when we pull these data together it can be hugely valuable to um to really get these like like you said, temperature readings at a fine geographic scale and and basically right at the moment that the temperature is taken. So I think there are still some big questions remaining, and I kind of want to start with that with respect to the data because we we don't really know how you know spikes in people's body temperatures in given locations necessarily translate into coronavirus infection that sort of sure. thing. So there's a lot of validation that needs to be done, um, and of course the the population of people who are using these thermometers is probably far from a a representative sample of the population. So sure. trying to figure out how that sort of maps onto some of these demographics that might be missed from these thermometers, I think is a really important open question, um, especially because the people who probably don't have these thermometers are probably also at highest risk of infection. Sure. That said, um, I have looked around uh, a little bit at the data, at some of the visualizations that they've put up on their website, and it's really impressive. And I think that one of the most, most important things about it is that the data that we've been using as epidemiologists are largely, they're, they're the testing data, which as we know is is pretty incomplete. And their hospitalization and mortality data. And those are lagged from the actual infection time, um, usually on the order of, you know, at least a week or two mm-hmm. so as Mark was saying before you know we really need to try to get ahead of this but but by by nature of the data that we're using we're always a couple of steps behind mm-hmm. but of course a temperature spike is one of the very first symptoms that's associated with coronavirus infections so it's been one of the the amazing things about the data visualizations that they've shown is that it seems like basically temperatures body temperatures across the United States are on average lower than they normally are at this time of year and you can really see a drop in the body temperature um, right around when we started doing these social distancing measures. So hopefully, hopefully we have this sort of flattening the curve that's coming down the pipeline that we're we're not really seeing yet in the hospitalizations because Mm -hmm. those are all infections that occurred probably before right when we started social distancing but there seems to be hope that that our social distancing measures are being effective
3: and that hopefully we'll see the benefits from that in the next couple of weeks just okay. to, and just to emphasize again one of the things that we've been in and, and this is all data that's still being worked out um, but we're seeing sort of onset of symptoms and then roughly in the next 24 to 48 hours or so maybe the first fever in the setting of a coronavirus infection and then the most severe symptoms again being uh, later than that So uh, around a week's time, give or take, and then uh, the more severe illnesses kind of especially peaking around nine to 12 days or so, roughly. Now, of course, there's margins of errors in that, and that's not um, 100% for each individual person, but from a populational standpoint. And so, again, if you think about it, if we're using hospital data, we're already a week behind temperature data. Um, And so if there's a way that we can validate and correlate those temperature spikes with true infections, that gives us a whole week of extra data that's helpful.
0: That's great, and so I encourage all of you guys. I know it's on back order. If you can check it out, uh, I'll put it in the show notes. The Kinsa thermometer. I'm looking to get one myself, uh, just to help, and I think it's a good thing to have. And plus, I'm a tech geek, so anything that connects to the cloud, I'm not this person who, like, oh my gosh, privacy. You know, I needed uh, my wife's on the other end of that. side. I'm like, sure, I don't care. Connect every my life to the cloud. I don't have anything to hide. So uh, I'm excited about this this opportunity. I encourage you guys to check it out. I know there's a new one on pre order. You can do it right now. I don't want to keep this too long, but I want to ground this right now and talk about how we can live in the real cuz i you know i'm feel i you know i feel better today yesterday was a hard day for me uh, i don't know why i just had a lot of, lot going on uh, in my life and uh, with work and my side stuff and just uh, there's a lot of things so i felt a little little just down i feel better which is ironic yesterday you guys in colorado gorgeous warm sunny i mean you just you just love living in colorado today cold rainy icy about slipped on the steps where I get the mail this morning. Uh, and I have no idea, but it just got me excited. So uh, a little bit of reverse going on, but uh, we got to stay grounded. And one thing I want to just, I want to end with this. And I see this in my own life is we need to avoid the two extremes. We mentioned earlier this idea. We want to, we want to refrain from this kind of propensity to want to saturate ourselves with entertainment, right? To entertain ourselves to death, to avoid what's real in, in front of us. So that's the one extreme However, I don't think I talked about the other extreme, which I think I'm feeling at times. And that is this idea to fill every waking moment with something productive. And we see this in, in a number of articles I've read, this idea of, okay, you have this extra time, let's fill with productivity. And this is not a time to do changes, um, you know, at least big changes. Right now, the most important thing is to get into the new routine. And as you get into the new routine, to really focus on one thing, and I mentioned this idea, and that is increase the level of margin in your day, because this is not the time to go from one thing to the next, to the next, because it is already emotionally and energy. It, there's draining, just getting groceries for our family, which my wife does in a tremendously great and wonderful way is exhausting right now, which normally just takes a couple you know, maybe 20 minutes to, to put in an order through Instacart or whatever, you, whatever process you're using. I would really encourage you to uh, schedule your days. Schedule your days in such a way to make sure there's margin, there's room to breathe amidst the tightly squeezed life right now. So increase the time by at least a half of, of what you normally would do. If it's making dinner and you, you you allocate an hour, make it an hour and a half. But you're trying to put more margin to slow things down because we need this time to be reconnect to ourselves and to our families and to our friends and I'd also, if, you, if, you're, if you're still working from home, increase the margin in between your meetings, right? Normally I would go from one to the next to the next. Now I'm like, I need like 20 minutes, 20 minutes of a gap between my meeting to the next meeting at least. So I can just breathe for a second or maybe journal for a few minutes or meditate or do something to reground myself. Because even though I might be present in a meeting subconsciously, the wheels are turning, right? It's just a different time. So we need more time to breathe, more time to have energy. And I encourage you to do this. And I mentioned in livingthereal.com, I encourage you to check it out. There's three major areas I talk about in living the real there's margin, which we talked about, that space to breathe, to reconnect to self and to friends and to family. It's the most important part. If you don't have that, you're going to be sucked dry, you're going to have anxiety. You can get into depression because you're you're disconnected from reality. But the second one, which I haven't talked about is momentum. They're the three Ms, margin, momentum, and maintenance. And momentum is the second most important thing. It's the thing that actually moves the needle forward in your life. How many times do we sit and we, after a year or two, we look back and like, what did I do? Yeah, I don't think I've done anything with my life. I felt this way, especially when you have three kids. You feel like you're—it's Groundhog's Day every day. You wake up to the same mess. You go to bed at the same mess. It's like the same problems every day. It's just another day. And so, momentum is ideas to get out of that break that cycle and to do one or two or three things max to move the needle forward in your life, right? And then maintenance is the third thing. It's true. It's really important. It's the third most important thing. It's all about the things, responsibility. It's the grocery shopping, the the, the, the caretaking, uh, the house cleaning, the bills, the laundry, all these things that are, are, are also important and urgent. And they need a system to govern that, so that you can choose and focus and, and pursue the most important things in your life that give you life, while when not sacrificing the ordinary things that you have to be responsible for. So, margin, momentum, maintenance. And in myself, I have my own kind of productivity system. I, I use I use OmniFocus. It doesn't matter what it is, whatever's for you. I've now created two projects under momentum and maintenance. I have my momentum project. And it's just called COVID opportunities. And there's these things that may be available now that I'm home. Now that I have a different kind of thing, what are new opportunities that I can do one thing a day that I can maybe do that's an opportunity? One small thing, it may even take five minutes. And then I have COVID maintenance or COVID response. And this is just the the things that are the new responsibilities, the new maintenance things in my life that are just different now because I'm at home and we can't go out to do things, but I still have to maintain our family, right? So I encourage you to adopt something like this to 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 uh, find margin, right? To do one or two things that to move the needle forward. And it might be just around this idea of, of being home and nothing new and exciting, but just new ways to be able to be at home and be present and to work, whatever it may be. So, I encourage you guys to to develop this. Really, the most important thing is is, is develop margin. And I'm thinking about and let me know if you're interested in doing this. Is next week I'm thinking of holding a webinar on just how to remain grounded in this difficult time. If you're interested, go to www.livingthereal.com and just sign up for the newsletter. It's the easiest way right now. And then I will reach out to you guys soon. It'll be a free webinar, an hour long, all about how do we stay grounded and get a good plan so we can take care of ourselves, our friends and our family and move the needle forward in our life without sacrificing the ordinary things in our life. Any last thoughts, you guys?
3: That's a good reminder, Matt. I mean, I think I feel the same temptation, which is uh, you know, in the midst of like teaching clinical work, writing, uh, and family life to just really push, push, push and yeah. try and be hyper Um, and, uh, and I do think there's something akin to that, you know, constant entertainment and constant productivity, um, both of which are kind of detracting from, um, some of the, the core things that I hope we, you know, we can encounter in this time. So it's a great reminder. I'll, I'll take that home.
0: Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got something out of Travis and some resource available if you have student loans to relieve some of that financial pressure. We hope to have some other guests on for maybe 10 minutes to talk about small businesses and the opportunities that small businesses have right now with the relief package, maybe a financial planner to talk about how we can actually maybe uh, bring a little more balance to our finances, tighten it up, shore it up so we can feel a little bit of a sense of freedom and control of our life right now, uh, as well as some other places we can go to to help you guys really try to still remain grounded and live in the real and the difficult time. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you guys subscribing. Please don't forget to uh, rate us if you can. Uh, Go to livingthereal.com. If you can uh, offer a small donation, patreon.com slash pandemic podcast. Didn't say that correctly. If you have questions for Stephen, you can tweet him at S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-I-S-S-L-E-R questions about the show, me, M-A-T-T-B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R on Twitter. Again, you can join us on Twitter as well at is the is the handle on Twitter. Uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, joining us today and we'll see you on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye.